1: No upfront charge for site build. After which,
3: ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service. After which, fees apply.
1: And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You are listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
4: is America's greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Hope you're having a great week. So we got a lot to do. We want to start. With, uh, let's start with Castro. The people celebrating him—it's unreal. I want to do some some detail things, and then we'll talk big picture about why people would even have the inclination to celebrate uh, an evil dictator uh, and totalitarian like Fidel Castro. There's nothing to praise about him. And even the things that people are pretending they should praise about him, no, th- those don't even exist either. And even if there were a few good things, that doesn't mean you have to praise him for those things any more than you praise Pablo Escobar for building soccer fields. I am incredibly grateful for, for this reporter, Tom Yamas. Uh, his parents fled Cuba. He works for whatever, whatever channel Good Mornings America on, CBS. So he's a reporter. A regular reporter, and uh, the, you know, the report the uh, anchors are talking about Castro's great, blah blah blah. And then uh, Tom Yamas says this twelve oh eight.
3: I can't remember a time when I didn't know the name Fidel Castro. I mean, I've known that name as long as I, since I've been alive, and it's something that has always been part of my life and my family's life. They fled Cuba, as you mentioned, as political exiles, and there is this tendency when world leaders die to kind of misplaced this romanticism around some world leaders but Fidel Castro was someone who was a tyrant he was a killer he was a liar and i really never realized how fortunate I was to be born in this country until I did a story that took me to the Florida Straits, and I was embedded with the Coast Guard, and they were intercepting Cuban rafters and, and Cuban go-fast boats that were smuggling in uh, Cuban citizens. And I got to see firsthand what it looked like on these boats, dozens of families, babies and diapers, and the best choice that these families had was to put their children on a boat in the middle of the night, not knowing what would have happened, than to live in Cuba. And Cuba at a distance may look beautiful, it may look mysterious, it may look nostalgic, but up close, it is cracked, it is faded, and the people are hungry, and that should be the legacy of Fidel Castro.
4: Now, that is perfection. Succinct, clear, perfect. Check out, though, this pivot by the Good Morning America anchor, uh, who's then pointing to uh, another guest. This is immediately following 1209 there are
3: no questions no question that there are horrors ongoing horrors in Cuba right now and of course for decades that you just referenced but Ron you know you covered No 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 uh, okay stop uh, there flip, flip stop there no no year. no no no
4: no but no but <laughs> you don't need to put a but just say you're right Tom there is no question that there are still ongoing horrors in Cuba period next story like you you don't need to put a but at the end of that sentence, and then keep going. There is no but, just period. There is no legacy other than that. That is the legacy. But they're so desperate to make it something else. You play the whole clip again, and we'll hear the rest of it.
3: There are no questions. No question that there are horrors, ongoing horrors in Cuba right now, and of course for decades that you just referenced. But Ron, you know, you covered, uh, you were in our Miami bureau mm-hmm. for years mm-hmm. at ABC News. You've been in Cuba. There are also arguments one can make on behalf of the Castro regime.
2: Well, the the literacy rate in Cuba is one of the highest, I believe, in the in the in the world. The mortality rate, I believe, is as low, maybe lower uh, than it is in this country.
4: Oh. Goodness. Okay, but uh, last thing on the and the anchor. Right? I love the anchors. Like, yeah, yeah, Tom, what you said is true. But let's let's talk about the good things. <laughs> Why I wrote this on Facebook the day it happened. I guess last week I said you don't have to say something nice about someone after they die. You you don't have to. I mean it's 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 nice to. I mean let's say uh, your neighbor. Uh, you never really got along with your neighbor that much. And and they pass away, and you regret not having a closer relationship with them, and you can be like, yeah, well, you know, he did have a beautiful garden, you know, you can, that's that's nice. Uh, maybe there's a, a distant relative who uh, wronged you uh, a decade ago, and they pass away, and you've never made amends, and you can find something nice to say about them at their funeral. That's good. But if your neighbor or your distant relative is responsible for the murder of tens of thousands of people and imprisoning tens of thousands more and impoverishing millions over generations. No, you, you don't have to say anything nice about them at all. Resist that urge. Second point, if you believe, as that last anchor stated, and many others have, Andrea Mitchell and a bunch of people, if you believe that Cuba has a higher literacy rate And a lower infant mortality rate than in America. I'm going to be blunt here. I don't mean to be rude. You need to ask yourself. What is wrong? I'm going to be. I know you're going to react negatively to this. And I get it. It's cool. But I got to say it. You need to ask yourself what's wrong with you. That you would believe those lies. You have to ask what's wrong. With, with your head and what's wrong with your heart, right? If you hear MSNBC or whoever saying over and over and over again, the great literacy in healthcare in Cuba, and you accept that as truth, you hear that and you say, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'll go with that. You have to find out what's going on with your your head, that you don't have the critical thinking skills to question that, and also your heart, that you would even for a second... Be open to such a thing when it comes to Fidel Castro. Why, so let's start with head. Why would you believe, oh, oh, someone on TV said it. Mm, so it's got to be true. Real quick, though, just if I can push back. Do you really think that the Cuban government is reporting honest statistics to international agencies about literacy rates and infant deaths? You, you, think, that's, you think that's okay? Although I put something like that on Facebook and someone wrote back, Oh, Slater, here's the World Health Organization there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, you think the country that forces abortions on babies that might be born with birth defects, you think they're going to give honest statistics to the United Nations? <laughs> you, you think the uh, the country where if a baby is born and dies a few days later, they don't count that baby as ever having been born? You think those are uh, legit statistics? You think the country that has a shortage of Of toilet paper? And rations of everything? You think they have a better healthcare system than the United States of America? How about this? Raul Castro, when he came to power how many years ago? He gave a big speech. And in the speech, he promised something that the people of Cuba thought would never happen. And he promised it and they were so ecstatic. He said that the economy of Cuba is going so amazing. This is right after Fidelic you know, got super sick and Raul took over, right? The economy, the people of Cuba economy is going so amazing that now everyone will have this. What do you think that this is? Oh, the people are ecstatic. They never thought they'd see the day. Well, they haven't seen the day. The next morning, the transcript of the speech was printed in the propaganda newspaper and that line was taken out. So it was a promise that was never filled. But do you know what the promise was? The promise was that everyone in Cuba will be able to drink milk. Now that didn't happen. Only babies can drink milk in Cuba, but we're supposed to believe that that country has a lower infant mortality rate. Mm. All but Slater, I saw the Michael Moore documentary where they show the a hospital in Cuba. <laughs> you think that's what all the hospitals in Cuba look like? Every communist country has two hospitals. I used to live in Tennessee, and uh, there was a doctor there who was on a show a couple of times who used to be a doctor in a Soviet country, Eastern European Soviet country. He worked at the good hospital. Right? There were two hospitals in every town: one for the well-connected and one for the people. And that's true in Cuba, too. <laughs> in, in, in the hospitals for the people, you would never step foot in them. Don't be deceived. So I don't like, it's crazy that people in the media, people on the TV would, would even parrot such absurdities. Now, did Castro attempt to put an emphasis on literacy and healthcare? Oh, oh, one last thing real quick. There's a big difference between literacy and education, right? So they, they they equate the two. Everyone on the TV who says, oh, highest literacy rate in America, in the world. Um, Yeah. Does that mean that the people of Cuba are the most enlightened well, certainly not. I mean, they, <laughs> I'll give you the story. Um, on my local show, we had someone who was born in Cuba, Colin, when he was seven years old. Check this out. This is amazing. When he was seven years old uh, in school, all the teachers got all the kids together and said, do you believe in God? And the kids said, yes, we do. So they said, okay, close your eyes and pray to God for food. So all the kids closed their eyes and they prayed for food. God, please give me some food. I haven't eaten in forever. i love some food. And the teacher said, okay, open your eyes. Do you see any food? And the teacher said, okay, now this time close your eyes and pray to Fidel Castro. Pray for food. Pray real hard to Fidel Castro for food. Keep your eyes closed. Now open your eyes. And in the meantime, the teacher's brought in a bunch of food. And this man was telling me the story and he said, the teacher said, there is no God. Fidel Castro is your God. He will provide for you. He will give you everything you want. Love him, pray to him, serve him, and you will be happy. Oh, Slater, they got great literacy rates in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Big difference between literacy and education, between literacy and enlightenment. Don't be deceived. Just because they can read, does that mean the people of Cuba will ever learn or investigate or travel? I don't think so. There's a historian at Yale who's a Cuban exile. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Castro tried to get a good healthcare system and uh, uh, improve literacy, but he said all slave owners need to keep their slaves healthy and ensure that they have the skills to perform their tasks. Right. Health and literacy wasn't for the sake of the people it was for the sake of the communist utopia and it was just enough to keep him alive and able to and alive and competent amazing 93. i want to talk uh, coming up next more big picture about why the left would even want to why why would they even try to say something nice about him like why why, why would they even investigate and look and dig for something nice to say what is that about I'll end with this. Austin wrote this on Facebook. He said the same people who are calling Trump a tyrant are calling Castro a great reformer. Huh. Go figure. one 933 93 Slater Radio on Twitter. And please search for The Mike Slater Show on Facebook and uh, become a friend there. one 888 93 Mike Slater Show. The Blaze Radio Network, spread the word.
1: Mike Slater.
5: On The Blaze Radio Network.
1: No upfront charge
3: for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
1: This is Mike Slater.
4: Slater Cassettes, I want to talk about some economics of Cuba communism in a second here. In Cuba, they have a, uh, well, America, we have a minimum wage. In Cuba, they have a maximum wage, a maximum wage. Uh, Twenty dollars a month. So, talk about some crazy utopian things that have come out of that so-called utopian things. But Cubans also can't have things, right? So, I mean, they have a maximum wage and they can't own any things, right? Everyone's got to be equal. So, the police actually check people to make sure that they don't have things that they're not supposed to. There's a blogger Yani Sanchez in Cuba. She writes about life in Cuba. She says buses are stopped in the middle of the street and bags inspected to see if. We're carrying some cheese, a lobster, or some dangerous shrimp hidden among our personal belongings. I want to read here. This is uh, Michael Totten or Totten. He said, even things as simple as cooking oil and soap are black market goods. Individuals uh, who, by some illegal means or another, manage to acquire such desirables will stand on street corners and whisper cooking oil or sugar to passersby and then sell the product on the sly out of their living room. If they're caught, both sellers and buyers will be arrested. But of course, the authorities can't put the entire country in jail. This, 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 this is the part I want to talk about here. What, this is what I want to talk about. How, what a communist country and system does to the character of the people. This is such a, an overlooked aspect. And that's why I wanted to do this now and then talk about the economics. But right now, I want to talk about what the economics does to... Let me say this again. Next segment, I want to talk about what the economics does to the prosperity of the people. Here, though, I want to talk about what economics does to the character of the people, which arguably is even more important. Michael says, he's quoting a guy from Cuba. Everyone cheats, this person says. One must in order to survive. The verb to steal has almost vanished from usage. Breaking the rules is necessary. Resolvi mi problema which means I solved my problem is the Cuban way of referring to stealing or cheating or selling on the black market. This is so important to steal. Isn't it? It happens so frequently and it's so prevalent. It's not even a word, right? I solved my problem. Hey, did you steal that? I solved my problem. Hey, did you lie? I solved my problem. Did you sell that on the black market? I solved my problem. People think that capitalism makes humans greedy. Mm -mm -mm. Nope. Well, here's the thing. Everyone's greedy. Everyone's greedy. Everyone's selfish. So the question is, what economic system channels that greed and selfishness into something productive? Socialism, or I should say capitalism, channels greed into productive efforts. Socialism channels greed into selfish pursuits. The left says that capitalism is an on-your-own society. Mm -mm. Capitalism is a prosperous society, so people have the ability to help other people. In a communist system like in Cuba, it's all about, I solved my problem. That's just a nice way. It's a euphemism of saying, I stole from someone else. I solved my problem. As Dennis Prager says, it's earn versus receive. Again, we're looking at this from a character development standpoint. Which system makes for a more righteous person? People who earn or people who receive or steal from the government or other people? Everyone wants more money, right? Everyone. If I want more money in a capitalist system, I have to earn it. I have to figure out ways to earn money. How do I earn money? Well, I have to serve other people in some way. But the person over here in a communist system, they also want more money. But they just want to receive more money. They're not selfish, right? That's the crazy thing. If you want more money, which everyone does, and you say, okay, I'm in a capitalist system, I have to earn it. Oh, you're so selfish. Well, I'm going to help other people, and, and they're going to voluntarily give me their money in exchange for a product or a service. So, oh, you're so selfish, so greedy. But the person over here in the communist system, they want more money. Well, how are you going to get more money? I'm going to steal it. I'm going to solve my problem. They're not selfish. The person who wants to earn more money is selfish. When people receive things for their entire lives, as now generations of Cubans have done, when you constantly receive something, then that thing becomes a right. And when it's a right, then you're entitled to it. And if you're entitled to something, then you're much less likely to be grateful for it. Why would you be grateful for something you're entitled to? So what makes for better character development? Now in a communist system, you put another layer on top of that. Desperation. I have to take care of my family. They're starving. We're desperate. I have to steal. There's no other way to survive. Wow, what a a righteous society communism and socialism produces. Yet they pitch it as a utopia. They pitch it as coming together. They pitch it as brotherhood. Un- you being united. <laughs> and all it is is people stealing, cheating, lying with each other. And also, when you put a totalitarian regime on top of that, snitching on each other. The kid, I, I told you the story a second ago uh, from a, a Cuban, someone who used to live in Cuba, grew up in Cuba. He said that uh, teachers had kids snitch on their parents if their parents ever said anything bad about dear leader. That's the country that... There's your character development that comes happens in Cuba and communist countries. Amazing. Don't fall for this, and we don't want to go anywhere towards that direction. That's for sure. So why does the left praise him? Chat more about that next. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
1: This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the
5: Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater.
4: Wow, well, Slider Crusaders, how are you? Talking about uh, Castro, I got two more main things here, so we'll wrap up this hour talking about Castro. So Michael Toten, we uh, talked about him a second ago, visited Cuba two years ago, but he didn't just go to Havana. Well, I mean, At least even part of the Havana that tourists go to. He went to the rest of Havana and the rest of Cuba. He said, outside of the small tourist sector, the rest of the city looks as though it suffered a catastrophe on the scale of Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Katrina or the Indonesian tsunami. Roofs have collapsed. Walls are splitting apart. Window glass is missing. Paint has long vanished. It's eerily dark at night, almost entirely free of automobile traffic. I walked for miles through an enormous swath of destruction without seeing a single tourist. Most foreigners don't know that this other Havana exists, though it makes up most of the city. Tourist buses avoid it, as do taxis driving, uh, arriving from the airport. It's filled with people struggling to eke out a life in the ruins. This is the the most important thing to know. Um, When you think about Cuba moving forward before. Oh, by the way, in the next segment, my second point is what should Cuba look like moving forward and what should our role there be? Before Castro took power, Cuba was one of the right up there as one of the wealthiest nations in the world, not the wealthiest, but it was holding its own. Cuba's middle class was just like any other in Latin America or South American country in the 50s, they had a strong middle class. In uh, 1958, for the revolution, Cuba had a higher per capita income than many countries in Europe. So the idea that the communists you know, came to power because everyone was so poor and the rich had all the money, this, this it was never true in Cuba. Cuba was so prosperous. There were more Cubans who vacationed in America than Americans who vacationed in Cuba. The United States was a tourist playground for Cubans, which means they had the money and the freedom to visit. It was communism and Castro that destroyed Cuba's prosperity. Here, here's, let me, let me put it in a sentence here. A lot of people will call Cuba a developing country. Right. And they'll put it on par with Haiti, or Guatemala, or um, a city like a, you know Baghdad or something. Like that. Cuba is not a developing country. Cuba is a once developed country that has been destroyed by its own government. Do you see the difference? Like Haiti was never developed. Haiti is developing. Cuba was developed. And it has been destroyed by communism. That is a big and important difference to understand. Mark Frank, he lives in Cuba, lived in Cuba. He says the lights were off more than they were on. So too was the water. Food was scarce and other consumer goods almost non-existent. Doctors set broken bones without anesthesia. He tells the story of nurses. They would make hamburgers out of grapefruit rinds and banana peels. Now, I want to say one thing here that will lead to the next segment about what we do moving forward. What we've done these last few years, and I'm, I'm, I'm very for openness. I, I think trade, uh, travel, communication, uh, exchanging of people, ideas, money, I think all that leads to better relationships. So I theoretically am very for opening relations with Cuba. But not like this. Because what we're doing now is only making Raul and the government prosperous and not the people. The people need to see the prosperity. Once people see prosperity, then they will want it. They want more of it. They want more freedom. But right now, we're just making the government more prosperous. The government right now, because the Soviet Union's not around, Venezuela can't prop them up anymore because they're a failed state. Maybe Russia will. They'll kind of come in. But there's no governments that can prop up Cuba anymore. So their government is broke. But when we opened up Cuba, we made the government rich again. Here's how. Again, in in Cuba, they have a maximum wage, $20 a month. Professionals, doctors, and lawyers, they can earn $30 a month. But other than that, you can only get what's rationed to you. And of course, the rations uh, decrease every year. But since we've opened up, we've allowed and they've allowed uh, tourists to visit and hotels. So Malia International, it's a, a, a Spanish company that runs a bunch of hotels around the world. They wanted to open up a hotel in Havana. The Cuban government said you can only uh, open. Oh, no, no, excuse me. Malia International said we will only open up a hotel if we can pay our employees, the Cuban employees, a decent wage. Okay, So, th- so the Cuban said, well, what's a decent wage? $10 an hour. So the Spanish government, Spanish company wanted to pay their employees $10 an hour, but the mandated pay, the maximum pay in Cuba is $20 a month. So how could they let this company pay like maids $10 an hour? <laughs> could you imagine that? Be like you getting paid a thousand dollars an hour. That doesn't make any sense. Cuba said, all right, fine. We'll do it. What? Ah, uh, here's the stipulation. The hotel is not allowed to pay the employees directly. They have to pay the government, and then the government will pass that money on to the people. Amelie International said, ah, oh, sounds great. The government pays the employees 67 cents a day. Which means if you are a housekeeper at a hotel, and you work for an hour, Raul Castro gets $10 an hour. Or $9.97 or whatever. You get three cents an hour. See how that works? So, the more we open up Cuba like this, in this current model, just the richer the government gets, which means the more they can oppress people. I could give a million examples of life in Cuba. I want to take a break here. I'll share one more. This is a story I heard a couple of days ago from another man whose family was born in Cuba, fled to America because of well, you'll see in a second. And he had a great insight into what we do next. What do we do next with Cuba? I'll tell you two things not to do. 188 eight eight, nine900. 3393, Mike Slater Show, at the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
5: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
4: Last segment here about Cuba, talking to a gentleman who was uh, his parents from Cuba. His mom was about 20, 22 years old. So was uh, her, at the time, fiance. Uh, So so is this caller's parents, about 20, 22 years old in Cuba. Her, so his mom's dad was a judge under Batista, who was the dictator uh, before Castro. When the revolution started, his dad was pro-Castro, pro-communism. I thought it was great, bought into it all. Unfortunately, this caller's grandpa was a judge and loyal to Batista. So the communists rounded him up, him with others, ran the town square, lined him up, And killed them all by firing squad. This caller's mom. Watched it. Along with hundreds of other people. She watched her dad. Get gunned down. Right in the middle of the street. She ran over to his body. And covered him with her scarf. They had to pull her away. There's nothing else she could do. They couldn't have a proper burial for him. Because. If you had a funeral. Anyone who showed up would be shot and killed as well. So they just left his body there on the street. So there's Castro. There's the revolution. Oh, by the way. So the caller's dad, who again was pro Castro, he saw all this and he said, we got to get out of here. I was wrong. This is evil. We're gone. Got on the plane the next morning to New York. And here they are. I asked this caller what his dad thinks about America. Because you always got to talk to people who have been through things like this. Ask him about America. They'll give you great insight. He said, Well, I'll put it like this. He says to anyone who says anything bad about America, take it back or I'll fight you right here. I said, What do you mean? He said, Oh, like he puts his fists in the air and will fight anyone who says anything bad about America. That's how much this country means to him. But people don't get it. Right, all these progressives—they don't get it. I talking to a guy. This is a little off topic, uh, from Cuba, but I was talking to a guy just the other day, went to dinner with him. His dad was a doctor in Iran. He was Jewish, and when the revolution happened, they put him under house arrest for some phony charge. Right, two days. Oh, every day they were killing two thousand people, two thousand Jews. The second day, in the middle of the night, someone knocked on his door. I said, sir, you don't know me or you don't remember me, but you saved my son's life five years ago. You have to go right now. Leave right now and get out of this country because tomorrow morning, the guards are going to pick you up and they're going to kill you. So the guy who I had dinner with, his dad fled to Turkey and then to Israel. I mean, like this, so, so, and then his son grew up here in America and is super successful. And it's the same thing. You ask people like that, what America means to him. I'll tell you, it's not a evil, genocidal, burn the flag. (laughs) They're not talking about that stuff. They're like, oh, I'd be dead if it weren't for this country. We have to back to Cuba. We have to learn from our history. We have to learn from history. We have to learn about the strong men, dictators like Batista and Castro, what motivates them? Where do they come from? Why do they do this? Castro's not unique to world history. He's not at all. He's just one in a long line of dictators and power hungry maniacs. So, what do we do moving forward? I don't know. Oh, sorry, did you want an answer? I know. I teased it earlier. I was expecting, oh, I'm sorry to disappoint. I got four minutes. So I'll give you two things that we shouldn't do. We should not bludgeon Cuba with our own vision for what we think their future should be. We should not do it militarily. We should not send the CIA in because that's how Batista came to power. And that's then how Castro came to power too, right? It's just, it's a mess. So we can't go in there and bludgeon them. We also should not go in or continue on with this current policy, which again, as we explained in the last segment, just enriches Raul Castro so that he has more money to oppress the Cuban people than ever before. That makes no sense at all. What I do know is that whatever revolution takes place in Cuba next, and I'm not going to call it a revolution. That is a bad, uh, they've had, they've had too many revolutions. Too many people have died in their revolutions. I'm going to call it an enlightenment. Whatever enlightenment takes place in Cuba next, it has to come from within Cuba. It has to. Now, the best way to make that happen is not from the CIA. It's from Cuban Americans. Cuban Americans have to do it. People from Miami or wherever, People like the two guys who called into my show, my local show a couple days ago from San Diego, whose parents grew up there. They know the stories, right? It needs to come from Cuban-Americans because they understand the culture. They understand the context of Cuba. They understand the sensibilities of the Cuban people. They understand the darkness of Castro and the light of America. It's got to come from Cuban-Americans. Quick sidebar. I'll bring it around. Um, So Carol... I'm trying to look up the exact day. When did, was it? It was like a week ago, right? Yeah. So Florence Henderson Carol from the Brady Bunch passed away like a week or so ago. And I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal from an Indian gentleman. He's uh, now at the Stanford Hoover Institute. So he grew up in India and in India, he would watch Brady Bunch reruns. And he said it changed his life. This is what he said. He said, The Brady's America was a wondrous, clean cut place. A kitchen with all the modern conveniences. An unruffled but not switched off mom. An unflappable father who was an architect. A cool job, in contrast to the salaried drudges who made up American manhood on TV. The viewers in the third world marveled at the amazing treatment given to Alice, the housekeeper, a mere servant. Those of us with TV sets and maids. Were disconcerted, wondering why our own help was treated so poorly. He said there's more eight people coming together under one roof with room for all. Well, that underscored America's physical and economic grandeur and an enviable prosperity, as a friend from Bangladesh remarked to me about the Brady's eldest, uh, about the Brady family, it made me wish we had a station wagon in Dhaka now. It made me want to live in America. So the influence of the Brady Bunch on people in India and Bangladesh. I'll give you another example of it. Uh, Bobby Jindal. Bobby Jindal, the governor of Louisiana. His, he has a, that's, Bobby's not his real name. I forget his first real name. He changed it because of Bobby from the Brady Bunch. Weird, right? So like the Brady Bunch is influential in Indian culture for whatever reason. My point is we have to show the people of Cuba who may be literate but they're not enlightened we need to show the people of Cuba the truth of the world they are brainwashed and I think Cuban Americans are the best people to show Cubans what is possible only 90 miles away from them so people like them from Cuba who now live in America they need to say look what we've accomplished in America with freedom and you can have it too that's how the Enlightenment of Cuba has to occur Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network spread the word
5: you're listening to Mike Slater
1: part of the next generation of talk radio on
5: the Blaze Radio Network
1: slater in three two one you're listening to mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio only on the blaze radio network
4: that is america's greatest country in the world thanks for being here happy saturday i want to talk about fake news um so from now on i'm gonna call a lot of things fake news because most of the news you read is fake news new york times headline front page Front page, New York Times. A couple days ago, rising seas turn coastal houses into a gamble. And that article, obviously, is going to be about global warming, right? Rising sea levels. And the first paragraph makes it seem as if it's about global warming. But the article is not about global warming at all. It's about how uh, Congress is changing a law that would basically end different flood insurance subsidies for people who live on the coast in cases of storm and and whatnot, right? Front page of the New York Times is basically a fake. It's like it's clickbait. I mean, that's like that's a clickbait headline, making you think it's about climate change, and it's not. It's about some boring congressional thing. I mean, that's isn't that fake? Isn't that a fake news story? I mean, it's like seventy-five percent fake. Like I don't. Like, what are, or how about this? Ohio State, the the terrorist attack the other day, right? This is from the Somali refugee who lived in Pakistan before here and all this stuff. While it was going on, the lieutenant governor of California, Gavin Newsom, who is the worst and he's going to be our governor one day, he tweeted out, we cannot let an average of one school shooting a week be the normal in America. Too many lives are at stake. The almost vice president of the United States, Tim Kaine, said deeply saddened by the senseless act of gun violence at Ohio State this morning. Vox, the website, America's gun problem explained in 18 charts. And there's plenty more examples. I mean, that's that's fake news, isn't it? I mean, I know it's Twitter, but these are pretty high profile people talking about gun violence uh, during a knife attack. <laughs> I mean, it ended with someone with a gun, but. I mean, that's that's fake news. I mean, people are going to read that and then assume there was another gun. Uh, it was a gun involved thing. That's fake news. I haven't checked the Twitter accounts to see if they've corrected them probably just deleted it that's fake news or to bring it back to Castro who we talked about in the first hour I mean that's the ultimate fake news people talking about how much he did for literacy and healthcare in Cuba what a joke Andrea Mitchell is the NBC News foreign correspondent how she got that gig I have no idea but if there's a foreign policy issue NBC calls up Andrea Mitchell she is the expert and she's on the air talking about how wonderful healthcare is in Cuba Like that's fake news (laughs) it's not true so what is it? It's fake news on MSNBC. I mean, all these New York Times, every, it's all fake news. So now this is pushed to like, I don't know, ban fake news or something. Remember last week we told a story about Benjamin Franklin. He was a, he, he often frequented in fake news. Fake news is nothing new. There's nothing you can do to stop it. The only thing you can do is know when you encounter it and ignore it. And we are not good at that. Stanford University just released the results of a study. They had 8,000 middle, high school, and college students and uh, asked a couple different questions. I want to run through a few of these different scenarios. In one scenario, they, it was, they gave them basically a website that was like a Huffington Post right? or a Blaze with, with a couple of different stories. And one of the stories was a sponsored story. And it said at the top, sponsored by Bank of America. Right? And sponsored Post. And the article was about financial planning help. Two thirds of middle schoolers saw no reason to not believe the trustworthiness of the sponsored news story, which isn't a real story. I mean, it's fake news, it's an ad, right? So two thirds of people thought it was news or a regular article. Two thirds of middle schoolers, middle schoolers. But I'm going to build up to the fact that adults are not better. Two thirds of middle schoolers did not recognize sponsored posts. And what that means. Now let's go to high school. High schoolers were given a story about, or not a story, excuse me, a picture of a deformed daisy, the flower. So the flower, instead of a yellow center, that was a circle. It was a long oval. It looked, it looked deformed, right? And the headline was Fukushima nuclear flowers. So the claim here is that the radiation from the nuclear power plant caused the flowers to be deformed. And that's all that was given. Picture. Headline. Four in ten high schoolers concluded, yep, that's enough evidence for me. There was no source of the photo. So there's no proof that it was even taken near the Fukushima plant. No story. No evidence that radiation caused the deformity in any way. Nothing. But 40% of high schoolers are like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. The radiation from the nuclear power plant caused these flowers to be deformed. And then they go off into what other conclusion they want about nuclear energy from there. Without any evidence whatsoever. Now, if you Google nuclear flowers, the first site that comes up is a weather.com story. And the headline is, Mutant Flowers from Japan's Fukushima Nuclear Disaster. When there wasn't a disaster, but Japan's Fukushima Nuclear Disaster go viral. Which is at best a nothing headline because the headline's not about the truth of the story. It's about how a false story went viral. Like, it's about the viralness of a story, as if that's newsworthy. Do you know what I mean? So, weather.com is just a giant clickbait thing. So, if you did any research at all, it turns out that that's a pretty common mutation in daisies. It happens all over the world. It's called fasciation, it's very common and has nothing to do with radiation whatsoever. That picture did happen to be taken in Japan, but I can show you plenty of other pictures from all around the world that have the same fasciation mutation. Pretty common. So the point is kids have no discernment abilities still today. I mean, they've grown up on the Internet. They still have no discernment abilities about what they read online, whether it's a sponsored post or uh, a picture of something that leads you to a conclusion without any evidence whatsoever. I'll give you one more uh, point from the the study and then uh, I'll take a break. We'll come to the conclusion. High schoolers were given four tweets. I'll just do three. The fourth one doesn't really matter. Three tweets about the police chief of Ferguson resigning. The first tweet was from uh, someone with a Twitter handle, The Subject. And they wrote, Ferguson police chief resigns! Exclamation point. Hashtag shut it down. With a picture of the police chief at a press conference from a couple days earlier. Second uh, tweet. From Lisa Bloom, police chief steps down to be replaced by an interim chief on the same department that the DOJ found is ridiculed with racial, riddled with racial bias. It's tweet two. Tweet number three, NPR, Ferguson's chief resignation is effective March 19th. And then a link to the story. And then there's a fourth tweet that doesn't matter. doesn't affect what we're doing. So students looked at that and they were asked, which of the three tweets is the most trustworthy? So I'll ask you, which of those three tweets do you find most trustworthy? The first one, again, Ferguson, police chief resigns, hashtag shut it down. The second one, Lisa Bloom, police chief steps down to be replaced by an interim chief of the same department that the DOJ, DOJ found is riddled with racial bias. Our number three story from NPR, Ferguson's chief resignation, effective March 19th with a story. Which is the most trustworthy of those? Do you want to know what these uh, students said? They said the first one. Why? Because it had a picture. That's it. Even though it's from an obvious activist's account. I mean, it has the hashtag, shut it down. But just because it had a picture made it more trustworthy. I mean, that, that's what we're basing. I mean, that, that's what, how we're... We haven't taught our kids, is, is, is a better way of putting it. We haven't taught our kids how to discern which means they're trying to think of ways to discern. They're coming up with ways themselves and the best thing they could come up with. Oh, that one must be more trustworthy because it's a picture. Now we can bring this to any topic you want. If kids today have such if adults, if, if people today have such little ability to discern real from fake, is there any way that people would be skeptical of claims made about climate change? Of course not. They're not raised to be skeptical which is wild because science is all about being skeptical of dogma. We'll bring it back to what we talked about in the last hour. You got all these uh, people in the media saying, oh, well, uh, Castro did great things for literacy and infant mortality. And everyone's like, oh, okay. No, (laughs) be skeptical of that because you'll find out soon that that's entirely not true. And if you think about it for one second, there's no way that could be true. But so little, so people are just like, oh, someone said it on TV. I, I trust it. Come on. Is there any chance that when these same students are in a classroom and they're told by their teacher that Castro was great or communism is a good thing? Or my favorite line, I love when people say, well, communism is great. It's a great idea in theory, but it's impossible to implement. I hate that. No, no, no. Communism is not a good idea in theory, even if it was implemented according to the utopian lies of the communist leaders, even that's not a good thing. Don't even give them that inch. Communism is not a good idea, even if it were implemented properly. But anyway, the point is, we're not raising kids to have good discernment or skepticism. I want Jack, my seven-week-old, questioning everything. Every little, I want him questioning everything he reads, everything he sees on TV, question everything, double check, triple check. Do not trust what anyone tells you. We need that skill set because here's the deal. Yes. Fake news is whatever problem. And it's not even fake news. I mean, it's all fake news. That's the thing. Listen, if you've ever been quoted in a newspaper, you've experienced how fake the news is. Every newspaper article I'm quoted in, it's like. I, no, I didn't say that at all it's not if I'm ever interviewed anymore first of all I, I almost never do it but if I am I talk I'm not even kidding I talk really slowly they'll ask me a question I'll talk like this be so that they can write down every word properly as opposed to writing in shorthand and then having to go back and kind of just fill in the blanks with whatever they want to put in so I will answer their question as quickly as they can write it down. Because if you've been quoted, or if you've talked to a newspaper reporter and you read the article and you're like, What? Someone has said it all. Or I'll read an article about radio and I'm like, well, that's not how that works at all. And you think, well, gosh, if they got it so wrong about radio, or if they got my quote so wrong, are they getting every quote wrong? <laughs> and you're like, Yeah, they are. All the time. It's all fake. Question everything. So bias news, fake news, all the rest, it's a problem, but any cure for it is worse than the disease, right? Any of like, we're going to ban fake news or like, no, 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 no. Any cure is worse than the disease. If we are to have a free marketplace of ideas, which is what we want, we have to have the skill sets of discernment and skepticism. And then thirdly, that's what I'll talk about next. one eight eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. But please teach your kids, These three things, discernment, skepticism, and I'll give you the the third next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
1: Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on The Blaze Radio Network.
4: Later. Sorry, Sanders, I want to get to my third characteristic here in a second, but first I want to go to Andrew, who's in Indiana. How are you, Andrew?
6: Hi. Uh, I first wanted to talk about, um, uh, as far as the Ohio State shooting, or not shooting. Sorry. me <laughs> get that. Attab- right. Stabbing. Yeah. as, sure. far as if, if that happened uh, at the University of Texas, where you know you have Texas, where you can have guns on campus, how you could assess that situation, and you know what would have went down in that scenario you know i i'm completely against that i don't know your view on that but i don't want you know my 18 year old daughter to you know be able i want her to be able to live freely it's a liberal city as it is It's a liberal atmosphere being in a college and for guns to be on campus i think is insane
4: why is that i don't understand why why would that be insane
6: because you have first of all they te- they're, they are teenagers they're 18 19 year olds you have people coming in from all over, from different states. They should be protected, and they shouldn't have to be in a classroom and have to see a gun to the left and a gun to their right because people have them on their holsters. I think that's what? ridiculous, in my opinion.
4: But I understand why not. Like, what's wrong with that?
6: Because uh, kids have stress, as it is enough in college, when they're 18 with this and that, and they don't need to have to see guns.
4: Yeah, why not? So you got you to you answer that. Why not? What's the problem with that? You don't think that –
6: you you would feel comfortable with, with an 18-year-old daughter in her dorm room with other people having guns in there. You would feel comfortable with that. Because they can sure. have them in dorm rooms as well. You would feel comfortable with that. Yeah, why wouldn't you?
4: Why wouldn't well, you? Why is you got to answer that. that. Like you're not you're not answering it? this. Why wouldn't you? You got I understand you you feel you feel emotional about this, but you got to tell me why that'd be a problem.
6: Because I don't I don't want a wild west shootout. Uh, you know, with that situation, in Ohio State. Who knows? You know, if you have shots firing, this and that. You know,
4: a lot so of- how did how did the attack how did the attack end? Do you remember how the attack ended? No. Yeah, someone shot him. Yeah, who shot him? One of the campus police officers.
6: Yes, police officers. That's different than an armed citizen who's twenty-one years old.
4: Is it? Does that? So does that never happen? Have you have not heard many stories of that same thing happening? With yeah, you hear you hear outliers here and there. I, I'm shocked
6: to hear that. For me, that you honestly think that should be okay.
4: No, but it's weird. You, you're painting this. You're painting this odd world where there are wild west shootouts. So so here, here's an example. So I mean, there's. I'm in mean, California. It's not a good example, but in I used to live in Tennessee. So Tennessee, a lot of people have guns. There's no Wild West shootouts, right? You but can bring Kansas, guns anywhere you Kansas, want. Kansas, There's no shootouts. No, are we eighteen year old? Are we eighteen year olds can join the military? Are they children?
2: I mean, Who's what, children? I mean, is your twenty? I mean,
4: is your twenty one year old daughter a child? It's the one place where.
6: Free speech is really protected, and so it's a it's a liberal atmosphere. Let's be honest about that. And you know, I don't think guns should be and you know be involved with that.
4: What, what, so wait, why can't a gun be involved in a liberal atmosphere? <laughs> I, what I what is a li- what, what at- is a liberal? At- I don't I don't even know what a liberal atmosphere means. I don't know what that term means. But why why what is what is the well, difference? This is interesting. So what is the difference between? Uh, where, where do you live in Indiana? Uh, where is the University of Indiana?
6: Uh, no, I, I actually, uh, I'm a graduate student at Purdue, West Lafayette.
4: Okay, Purdue. So so what's the difference between Purdue and whatever street is on the edge of Purdue and across the street from it in West Lafayette? What's, what's the difference between those two places? Those two pieces of land, right? So there's a piece of land that is, that is Purdue, known as Purdue University, and then there's a piece of land known as West Lafayette. What's the difference between those two pieces of land?
6: Well, then, I mean, you're saying we, we should allow adults to bring uh, guns into uh, elementary schools when they pick up their kids. Do you believe in that? I mean, you can go that way, too.
4: Well, let's focus on one. Let's focus on one thing specifically, and then we can talk about guns in, in okay. schools, but on a college campus with adults. I mean, there's only adults on college campus. You're 18-year-old. So answer that question. What's the difference? What's the difference between Purdue and West Lafayette? Because, okay, do you think people should be able to carry guns in West Lafayette? Uh, yes. You know, you, you know, you go through the permitting process, and you take the gun classes, and all that stuff. Yeah. So I just don't know the difference yeah. between that, that side of the street and the other side of the street.
6: I think, I think anxiety is high in, in a college atmosphere with that many people, and people backlash a lot quicker on a college campus because there's a lot going on. People are on drugs. People are drinking. There's this and that. There's a lot of things happening where people are reactionary and and I I think
4: there there are safer with
6: guns, not there. I I think there's no reason for them to be there.
4: Well, tell that, tell that to some of the the, the students who have been killed uh, in attacks on campus. Uh, Like let's just take West Virginia or Virginia tech, right? There were no guns on campus. And I guarantee you if there was a student with a gun, they would have killed that guy and it would have been over and lives would have been saved. So, uh, there's, there's, okay, go ahead. We only got 30 seconds. Benef- could you give me
6: a benefit to having them on campus
4: yeah i just told you virginia tech someone someone <laughs> attacks you and you have a gun and you can kill them so they don't kill you that's the attack i don't i don't i don't believe that if people who are trained and all the rest have a gun on campus that there will be wild west shootouts that just that's a fantasy fear world that you've created that if if i disagree with you on this issue with politics i'm going to pull out my gun and shoot you like that doesn't happen uh you're basing that off of off of uh, fear, not lies. By the record.
1: Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. later on the blaze radio network
4: flip how did you put it the line like the last call first and i appreciate it, andrew i appreciate you calling in and having a, a discussion um it was as he acted as if the guns itself are like the bad people how did you put it
0: yeah it's like the the feckless thug that might use a gun for ill means uh, all of a sudden the gun is actually the person who who's going to do those bad things
4: yeah because like, he was like you wouldn't want guns in the dorm room that your daughter lives in and it's like well, well, sh- well sure, I, but but you're right. He, it was as if he was saying, well, you wouldn't want a bunch of gang bang thugs in your daughter's dorm room, would you? And it's like, well, no, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want a bunch of gang members in my daughter's dorm building, but I wouldn't mind if there were guns in my daughter's dorm building, right? But he was equating those two as if they were the same thing. Great insight. Um, and he, it, okay, and it's interesting how he said, um. Kids shouldn't have guns. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, <laughs> like, of course, kids shouldn't have guns. Uh, but we're talking about college students, right? 18 to 20, whatever, right? And then this whole idea that there's, there's just wild West shootouts. Right? if we allow people to have guns in places, as if a college campus is in any way different than the city that it, that the college campus is in, right? Um, which he could not define. And I, I don't know why a college campus is any different. Um, I mean, it's still in America, too, with the Second Amendment, but I wasn't going to make that argument for him. That wasn't going to work. Uh, but this idea that there's just like Wild West shootouts all the time. So Oregon, Idaho, Utah, Colorado, Texas, Tennessee, Kansas, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Wisconsin all allow concealed guns on college campuses. <clears throat> are there wild west shootouts all and uh, do you where's the where's the last wild west shootout that's occurred on one of those college campuses there's a lot of colleges in texas and tennessee and colorado and utah and oregon and in, in, in uh, idaho and kansas and arkansas and mississippi and wisconsin Actually, wisconsin and ohio state are playing is a good example you want to talk about passions being inflamed it was interesting he kept sort of alluding to safe spaces without saying the word safe space that's why he said well there's a very liberal atmosphere i was like what does that mean it's a safe space um So it's like it was as if like they would two students would be in a seminar class together and they would be arguing over over the merits of capitalism or communism. And things would get so heated that they would just whip out their guns and kill each other. It's like what? So today, Pennsylvania, uh, Penn State and Wisconsin are playing right for the Big Ten championship. Uh, Now, it's being held in Lucas Oil Stadium for whatever reason. But let's say it was in Wisconsin. You want to talk about inflamed passions, Okay. You're at the, the, bat, the, the football conference championship game. Right? The, the winner is going to go to a uh, uh, maybe maybe the the, the, the the top four right, to the, the tournament to, to win the whole thing. Right? They're pretty inflamed passions. I mean, you'd think there'd be shootouts. There's no shootouts. We don't have shootouts in America. There's no just random shootouts. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not how that works. Unless there's gangs involved, which is a different thing. Very interesting. Flip, what's the name of the uh, the person uh, on the line? Oh, Aaron is in Colorado, one of those states where all the wild west shootouts occur on college campuses. What's going on, Aaron? Hey, how you doing? Good, brother. What'd you make of the uh, the last conversation?
2: Well, yeah, I was kind of calling in response to the gentleman who was. I mean, obviously he he's just in general scared of guns. Um, yeah. With with the the way he put his thoughts out there, you know, he just doesn't understand the the most basic argument that a criminal is going to disregard the law. If I want to kill somebody and, and I, and I'm, and I've said, that's what I'm going to do there. I wake up, have my bowl of Wheaties and say, I'm ready for this killing. You know, I'm not going to say, Oh, no guns allowed on this campus. I better go. I better go to a state where they allow them. You know, I mean, that's the law abiding person. If they have ill intent, it, it, Anybody who has ill intent isn't going to regard the rules. I mean,
4: yeah, yeah, the Virginia tech shooter did not check the Virginia laws about guns when he went and uh, killed a bunch of people.
2: Yeah, so, so disarming everybody with good intent or not allowing them to carry is not going not to make anybody more safe. Uh, I, I have guns, I carry a gun all day, every day. Uh, you know, I work for myself, and not once has my gun ever uh, shot me in the foot. You know, um, and I carry them with a round in the chamber. There's no safety on my guns by the manufacturer because they're self-defense weapons and a safety will get you killed Mm -hmm. in the moment that you have to defend yourself. You know, uh, it's, I've never had an accidental discharge of a fire murderer or, or known anybody of the people I know who, who carry guns on a daily basis. I've never known of anybody, anybody's gun just shooting, you know, uh, do you you
4: conceal carry or open?
2: I, I conceal carry.
4: So it was interesting that that he spoke of, um, I think in the beginning it was something like, would you want your daughter sitting in, first of all, it's always interesting that it's a daughter and I'll get to that in a second, but your daughter sitting Mm -hmm. in a class um, looking to her left and her right and seeing guns everywhere. And it's like, well, that's not how that works. I
2: mean, you're not not walking around with your gun in your hand all the time. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's, there's some basis on the seeing the gun, you know, they, and, and a lot of these campuses say concealed carry is welcome and they don't, they don't allow people open carry. Like some of the gun stores I go into also, they say your concealed carry is welcome. But if we, if, if we see a gun, it must be unloaded, you know? Yeah. um, It's, you know, because I understand that some people may not be comfortable with guns and out of respect for their feelings, we should make it, you know, you may concealed carry on campus, but uh, no guns are, are to be, you know, shown, uh, at any time, you know. I mean, because yeah. also, if you know, if you know who has the gun, and you're the crazy kid in class, you're gonna come in next week and shoot the shoot the two two guys that you know. You may call hillbillies that are carrying a gun every day because you know they carry it. You know.
4: Yeah. So, right, Aaron, appreciate the call, man. Thank you very much for listening. You're <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, you're you. spot on. And you don't. Listen, I don't want everyone waving guns around on college campuses, but the idea that one should not be allowed to carry a gun simply because they are walking on a college campus, like I don't. I still don't understand that argument, but you're totally right, Aaron. Um, I I wish I had a second more with Andrew. I would have asked him if he's ever fired a gun in his life. Uh, I'm going to say no, because there seemed to be uh, a a fear there of guns, which only comes from never having fired one. Um, It was was a fear, not a respect. When you fire a gun, you have respect for them. Uh, If you've never fired a gun, then you have a fear of them, and those are very different. I want to speak, though, uh, on Andrew's language. Do you remember the week after Thanksgiving? Was that last week? Yeah, it was last week. We talked about moral foundations and how to have a conversation with someone if your intent is to change their mind. You can either try to win the argument or you can try to change their mind. and uh, I gave some suggestions on how to do that around the Thanksgiving dinner table. So the, the only way it's possible is if you know that person's moral foundation. So Andrew seemed to be more on the progressive side, which means his moral foundation is fairness and caring. Yeah. So I can't say, and this is why I didn't make the argument. Well, the second amendment doesn't stop on college campuses. Like that's a good argument, but that's not going to convince Andrew, right? He's like, well, like he doesn't like the second amendment or he thinks there should be restrictions on it. So using the second amendment as the standard will mean nothing to him. So I got to speak based on his moral foundation. Caring and fairness. Uh, I could use the fairness line, you know, something like, is it fair if, yeah, fairness is tough. So let me do the caring. We hear a lot, and there's not, it's not anything like what they say, but we do hear a lot about uh, the rape epidemic on college campuses. Most dangerous place in America, if you're a woman, is on college campuses. One in five. One in five women will be raped. Now, that's not true. But, and we we don't have time to talk about that now. But let's just go with it, okay? Let's suggest, we'll go along with the fact, with the lie, that uh, college campuses are the most dangerous places for women in the country. If that were true, Andrew, would you not want your daughter carrying a gun? It was interesting. He, Andrew only framed it as Would you want your daughter to go to class and see other people carrying guns? He never framed it as Would you want your daughter going to college carrying a gun? Because the answer there is absolutely yes. Now, maybe maybe, you're, maybe, you don't want your daughter to carry a gun, but do you want your daughter to have pepper spray or something, right? Like something to protect herself? Sure. So if you want something to protect yourself, well, why not a gun? Why not a gun? If they're so dangerous for women, Andrew, now, let me let me have the let me have a proper tone here. <clears throat> Andrew, do you think there's a uh, a rape epidemic going on college campuses? That's that's serious that you're concerned about. Yes, like, I do. Do you think that women should be able to protect themselves and have the means to uh, to protect themselves in a dangerous situation? Oh, absolutely. Well, why would you take away a woman's right to? protect herself from being raped especially on in places like college campuses that are so dangerous i i want my daughter who is an adult to be able to protect herself on a college campus which is open to the public right i mean anyone you may say the college campus is safe but i don't know i went to yale and it was in new haven and new haven was not safe so maybe you're going off campus for a minute maybe people from off campus are coming on campus right i mean College campuses are, can be pretty dangerous. So why would you not want women to be able to protect themselves? Who are you to take away that ability of a law abiding woman to protect herself from a rapist? Wow. It's, it's pretty bold statement for you to uh, pretty bold stance for you to take to be anti-woman like that. 1-800-760-K-FMB. k right, take a time out. This is actually, Andrew, a perfect segue into my third point about uh, how we need to be raising kids. Uh, we, get, we talked about the study at Stanford that says, essentially concludes, or I'm concluding from the study, that kids have no discernment ability. They have no, um, they don't have a healthy skepticism of what they read online and what they read in the news and see on TV. And there's a third Characteristic that I'm going to make sure my son Jack has or I'm going to try my hardest. So it's going to be discernment, skepticism, and I'll give you the third one next. that ties in very nicely to our conversation with Andrew. We'll do it next. Mike Slater Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
5: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Generation of talk radio. This is Mike
4: Slater. All right, perfect segue, Andrew. I appreciate you, man. Uh, three, char- three things I want out of my son. There's a ton. We actually have a book downstairs, my wife and I, have a notebook, and every day or so, we write down a new characteristic that we pray for that we want our son to have and a little story example of what that would look like. Um, so we want Jack to uh, protect the vulnerable, and, and, and I will be a proud papa when I find out one day that he sits with uh, a, a kid who is eating lunch by himself in the in the uh in the cafeteria right That's, or, or there's a bully picking on a kid and Jack intercedes I'm like yes awesome so anyway uh I want Jack to to be uh, to have discernment specifically I'm talking about watching the news and things on TV but in general discernment skeptical I want him to be skeptical of everything ask questions and number 3 I want him to have the ability to change his mind this is so huge you you have to be able You have to have the humility to change your mind when evidence presents itself that proves your original opinion wrong. You have to be able to change your mind. I told the story earlier of a listener who called into my local show who was pro. so, So the listener called in, his dad was pro Castro, pro revolution in Cuba. And then his... So his mom's, it's mom's, it's confusing. I'm bad with families, but this caller's mom's dad was a judge under Batista who was killed by firing squad in the middle of the street, right? So the caller's dad saw this and said, we're out. So took the caller's mom, got, got out on a plane the next day, changed his mind. Now that's a pretty obvious reason to change your mind, right? But still, he did. And that's good. It's, it's good to change your mind when appropriate. There's a major problem in in human nature. It has nothing to do with America. It's human nature. It's the cognitive dissonance we talked about it. I think the uh, Saturday after the election. The short of it is, uh, in in this in terms of this election, people on the left think Trump is a tyrant and a horrible person who will destroy the country. So when Trump does pretty sensible things, like, well, I won't get rid of all of Obamacare, or I'm not going to deport every illegal immigrant. And, Uh, yeah, sure. I'll build a fence, fence wall, whatever. Uh, I'm not going to prosecute Clinton. I'm not going to do anything with gay marriage or anything. I'll leave most other issues to the States. I mean, these are not things that tyrants do, right? So people on the left who think Trump is Hitler, they have two options. They can either change their mind about him, which is very difficult because that requires humility. And we just, people don't like to change their mind. It just, it doesn't feel good for whatever reason. So you think they can either change their mind or they can double down even more. So that's what most people do. And that's where the hallucinations come from about what Trump is doing. And you're going to see so many hallucinations. This is where you get all the KKK stuff, right? Like Trump is, is in the KKK and all of his supporters are KKK. I mean, that's just, that's hallucinating. So that's bad. You don't want, you don't, you don't want to do that. You don't want to hallucinate. You don't want to have to double down on what is wrong. You got to be humble enough to change your mind when it's appropriate. So we got to teach our kids to have discernment. Skepticism and the humility and courage to stra- change their mind on an issue when proven wrong. If you don't, if you double down on what is false, it just leads to embarrassing hallucinations. And uh, what good is that? 188 933 93. Hmm, what to do next? I want to talk about dropouts. One in eight of these are dropouts and it's no bueno we'll talk about this what we can do about it if there is anything president trump or we can do about it we'll do that next mike slater show the blaze radio network spread the word
1: you're listening to mike slater on the blaze radio network Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
4: Hey, Slater, because that is America's the greatest country in the world. I lied. We'll talk, uh, we'll do the dropout story coming up by the end of the hour, but I have to get this out of the way. This is the fake outrage of the day from the one website. Well, there's two websites, but they're all kind of connected. Uh, the main website that I have told you many, many times to never, ever go to. Just don't ever do it. You're better than this. You're, you're, you're better than this website. Never spend time there. It is a time suck, and it will serve you. N- there's no way that anyone at the end of their life will say, Oh, I have such a regret. I wish I spent more time on BuzzFeed." I just, I. If only, if only I could just sit forever and look at BuzzFeed stories. Okay, don't, just don't go. Ever, ever, ever. That being said, BuzzFeed News got a really exciting scoop. Chip and Joanna, this is from the HGTV show Fixer Upper. Another addicting thing. Chip and Joanna Gaines' church, you ready? Is firmly against... Same sex marriage. Woo. Wow. I would love to know the story behind this story. Why? why where did this come from? Right? So for whatever reason, this author, I don't know if she was going rogue and acting on her own or if BuzzFeed News. and a group meeting decided to go find the church that this couple goes to in Waco, Texas reached out to the church to find out their views on same-sex marriage as if that was even necessary, right? I mean, pretty sure that church has the same views on same-sex marriage as every church. So the communications director forwarded BuzzFeed to the church's website and they have a beliefs section. And in the beliefs section, it says marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. This is my favorite line in the article. The church has held the same position Since Siebert, the the pastor, since the pastor founded it 17 years ago, like that is, that line is such a tell, which I want to get to in the next segment. So remember that sentence right there, but no, it's, it's not that this, it's it's not that the church has held this position for 17 years, the, the church is. Held this position since it was founded two thousand years ago, <laughs> and since God declared it so at the beginning of time, it's not like this pastor has held this view. It's 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 the view, and it goes on to say that this pastor thinks that gay sex is a sin, and cue the outrage music and all the rest. So Buzzfeed writes it, then Cosmo and Us Weekly pick it up. Um, this is Cosmo: Chip and Joanna Gaines's pastor preaches homosexuality is a sin. Whew. Us Weekly: Chip and Joanna Gaines's church is very much against same-sex marriage. So let me steal uh, one piece of snark here uh, from Kevin Williamson. He uh, is on the line that Chip and Joanna, church, Chip and Joanna's church is very much against same-sex marriage. Kevin D. Williamson said, "So is Nancy Pelosi's, Tim Kaine's, Joe Biden's, etc." It's the Catholic Church. But th- this is this is really fascinating to me. Like the actual headline to this story should be, "Successful celebrity couples pastor is a Christian." Believes in Bible news at 11. Like that's, that's it. I bet. I don't know. I haven't reached out to the church, but I bet that this crazy pastor even believes that Jesus is the son of God died and rose on the third day. I'm just, I'm just throwing maybe, maybe he's that crazy, but that also happens to be what billions of other Christians believe as well. But let's try and rip this one couple to shreds for no reason at all. Why would they do this? I mean, this seriously, Cause I have an answer, but I'm asking why, why like, are they that bored? What, what, what are they doing? Is there no, nothing else to talk about? They had to go after chip and chip and Joanna. It was, it was, it was like the weirdest story ever. It wasn't even uh, like, what is that? Like, uh, Of course that's what their church believes. So what is this? It's a couple of things. I think there are leaders and followers with everything. The easiest example to understand is with environmentalists. There are environmentalist followers. These are the people like your friends and parents, uh, whoever, who want clean air and clean water. And they, they like the planet. They're environmentalist followers. Then you have environmentalist leaders who believe that human beings are a plague and virus on the planet and would rather see humans wiped off the earth in order to save it. That's like that, that, like the, the leaders. And unfortunately, they're setting the policy that the followers are following. Okay? But I think this is true with many things. There's leaders and followers. And I think it's true with this whole anti-Christian thing going on too. I think there's leaders and followers. I think there are people, the leaders, who have a hatred against Christians and our opinions and they can't stand to see any Christians successful. I think that's part of it, but mostly it's just ignorant followers because I guarantee you that there are no Christians. I would say that there's no Christians at Buzzfeed who work at whatever office floors Buzzfeed takes up in New York city. But certainly there were no Christians who read this article before it went to print, right? So the author, the people who proofread it, the copy editors, the editor whatever, right? I mean, from start to finish, all the people from the person who printed it to the person who put it online, none of those people are Christians. And none of them even come from an area of the country where it's like culturally Christian, whether they're a Christian or not. Right. But if you grow up in Nashville, you, you get, you understand the Bible just through osmosis, right? Just being around people who get it. Right. So there's no one who even grew up in a culturally Christian area of the country involved with this article. So there was not a single person there to say, um, guys, uh, this is what all Christians think. This is the exact same confirmation bias that led everyone in the media to getting the election completely wrong. Because most people at CNN, at the CNN table with 83 different pundits, with like the round table they have, none of them know a Trump supporter. They don't know. Like, they, 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 in their circle, in their Facebook f- feed, there's not a single Trump supporter, right? They've never talked to one. They have no idea what they're thinking. They don't even care to think. About what Trump supporters would be thinking. So in their world, no way was Trump gonna win because they don't know a Trump supporter. Does that make sense? They would go through every day of their life for a year and a half, never seeing a Trump supporter, other than whatever they're characterized on TV, right? But they don't know a Trump supporter. So when they were asked who's gonna win, well it's like, well, obviously Trump's not gonna win, like I don't even know one. <laughs> so same thing here with this reporter right? The fact that to this author w- that the pastor believes the Bible, like the fact that that's shocking is because she doesn't know anyone else who thinks that, which is her problem, not yours. This is Jezebel, which is another website. You should never go to Would chip and Joanna televise their giddy reveal behind the walls of a married transgender couples home what how many married transgender couples are there what, do you, what do you, that's your <laughs> like, there's billions of christians and like four married transgendered couples like what are we talking about here but i guarantee you that whoever wrote that on jezebel knows more married transgender couples than trump supporters so to them in their world that like, <laughs> like that's more important or or more obvious whatever like, it's crazy so i want to quote you from matt walsh um he says, there's nothing shocking about a Christian who opposes gay marriage. A great many Christians deeply believe in every aspect of Christian teaching. And we will continue to believe in it until kingdom come. We offer no apologies. We offer no trigger warnings or compromises. This is what we believe, and we are many, and we are ancient. We have traveled to every corner of the globe spreading our message. We created Western civilization and built it around the very doctrines that you find so utterly shocking and appalling. We aren't going anywhere, leftist, and we aren't shutting up. Quick sidebar lesson, Muslims and Jews preached the same thing on marriage, but BuzzFeed apparently didn't have any time to do an expose on the hateful views of TLC's All-American Muslim TV show and their views on same-sex marriage. Only Christians are ridiculed and made to renounce their views on this. My final point went here. And any Christian listening right now, this is not the first time you've heard this. Just... Just love. Just love every person like Jesus did. Kate Arthur, who's the person who wrote this article, just love her. Who cares? She doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> she knows not what she does. Just love her. If you know any gay people, just love them. Just shower everyone with love. But never compromise God's word. one 900 3393 I want to take half a step back from this. And look at this from a sociological perspective. Why is this happening? Why? 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 We'll do it next, Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
5: You're listening to
1: Mike Slater
4: on the Blaze Radio
5: Network.
1: Later on the Blaze Radio Network.
4: So I am uh, older, wiser, and more mature in my seven weeks of fatherhood. So I just, uh, I don't get upset by things like this anymore. I'm, I'm out of the outrage game. I'm out. I'm out. Can't do it anymore. I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have patience. I think if you knock out like an average of two hours of sleep at night from your normal life, you just don't have the energy to be outraged at dumb things anymore faux outrageous because really most of this stuff is just to fill time on TV. I, I can't, I can't express this enough. The number one priority of producers on the cable news networks is to fill time. That's it. There's no driving goal to whatever change the world for the better. It's, it's like we have an hour to fill. What are we talk about? I don't know. Let's do that. Right. That's what's really, that's, that's, I can't express that enough. Um, so this is, this is the same thing. I just don't, I don't get upset by it anymore. So I like to, when these things happen, because you can't ignore them totally. You can most of them, but some of them are just too fascinating. So I like to take a step back and sort of observe it like a sociologist. Because what is wrong with people? Why would BuzzFeed, uh, why would one person at BuzzFeed take a day? I'm assuming this took a day, maybe longer, to call this pe- these people's church in Waco, Texas. And then when they find out that the church believes what the Bible says, they find that newsworthy. Like, it it would be more newsworthy if a position or or if a, if a celebrity whoever did not believe in their church's teachings, right? Like like Tim Kaine and and against uh, he's for abortion or whatever. like, like that's newsworthy. But how can that's, that's, a couple who goes to church believes in Bible? Like how is that a newsworthy story? So what is this? I think it's the angry mob. There's something inside of us as human beings, and everyone has a little bit of it, and it's all around the world. The angry mob is a powerful force. I want to play a little clip of this episode from South Park back in 2008. This is an episode about Britney Spears. It's a theme that we mention here and there on the show. It comes up randomly at different times. But we love, as humans, to build people up and then tear them down. And then build them back up again and then tear them back down. We do it all the time. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with examples. Let's go with Tiger Woods because it's kind of happening right now. So we build Tiger Woods up. Oh, greatest golfer of all time. He's amazing. He has all these endorsements. He's a hero. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Then whatever happens, we rip him to shreds. Oh, he's the worst person. And then we have him uh, march out in front of the cameras and apologize. And this He's the worst person ever. And then uh, now he like played a good round of golf the other day. And he's like, oh, Tiger Woods is back. And he's going to win a tournament one day, and just, maybe he'll win another major. And he'll be like, oh, my gosh, Tiger was the greatest person in the entire world. And then he'll do something. We'll rip him out. It. It's just what we do. We build him up, we tear people down all the time. Miley Cyrus is a good example. Oh, look at Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana. And she's good. Oh, she's the worst person in the world. She's Satan. And now she's on the voice again. Right? So it's, we, just, we do it all the time. It's the weirdest thing. So South Park took it a step further in one of their episodes. They did an episode about Britney Spears. And in the episode, the paparazzi are trying to kill her, basically. And the boys are trying to save her life. So this is at the end of the episode with uh, the boys and Britney Spears surrounded by a bunch of uh, people who are essentially the angry mob. Here it is. Morning, Bill.
6: Morning, yo. Nice
4: looking corn. Oh, I think we have the... Is it the wrong time cue, sir? Hi, Sharon.
5: Randy.
4: Yep. All oh, right, that's cool. Sorry, wrong cue I will cue this up by the end of the hour. Apologies, um, or the end of the segment. So, the, the the and the argument is the boy. The boys are like, "Why, why we, we like leave her alone?" And the townspeople, why don't I just tell you what they said? The townspeople say, um, "Well, we can't, little boy. Don't you understand? This is what we do. In ancient times, they would adorn beautiful girls with jewels and then and then sacrifice her." And they go on and say, that's what we do still today, but we're much more civilized. And we just do it in magazines now and on the internet. And the boys are like, well, isn't it like the same thing? And they're like, no, it's totally different. And then they basically kill Britney Spears, right? Or drive her to suicide. And they love it. The people love it, right? We, we do the same thing. We rip people to shreds. And we think we're more civilized because we do it from a distance. Sure, back in the day, we would sacrifice people. We'd burn them at the stake. And everyone was present to watch it. And we've come a long way since those days. Now we just do basically the same thing, but from a distance and we feel better about ourselves, but people's actual lives are sometimes ruined by fake outrage mob. Right? Right. Someone may say something on Twitter and the outrage mob works until that person's fired from their job. Now doing that's not, the same as literally murdering someone, but the impulse is the same. That's my point. The impulse to do that is the same. We take great joy in other people's sufferings. We take great joy in other people's misery. And it's weird when you have celebrities. It's like, because they're in the public eye, they've given themselves over to us. So we can, we can build them up at whim and we can rip them down whenever we want as well. And and we do it all the time. It's just weird. And I think that's the same with Chip and Joanna, right? They got their hot celebrities. Um, they're, they're doing really well. They're really successful. And BuzzFeed just felt the need to rip them down because they're Christian. Just, just going to tear them to shreds. And everyone else just joined in, right? Cosmo and all these other ones are like, yeah, let's do it. Why? I mean, wouldn't a better story be well look at that chip and joanna they're christians and successful and by all accounts wonderful kind people who have raised a great family and huh maybe maybe we have these christians all wrong right I mean, that, that'd be a better story if they wanted to actually build people up but they don't they like to tear people down do we think we have it here now let's give it a whirl
1: they're gonna kill her
0: they're gonna wait wait what are you doing here
3: it's all of america kyle
0: we're all a part of this together you know about all this, Kyle? What the fuck
5: is
1: going on now? Uh, that's
4: definitely not it either. Sorry, <laughs> that's definitely not the right clip either. Sorry, um, sorry about the the swear word there, everyone listening. Uh, wrong clip. Um, we need to not be a part of that, right? Not be a part of the fake outrage mob that just tears people down. We need to be the people who build people up, and to bring this political to suggest alternatives, right? And I'm so excited because I think the tea party started as it was inspired because of Barack Obama, right? And the Democrats, but I thought the tea party did a really good job because we weren't just against things. We were for, right? We weren't against just against the stimulus package, but we were for free market capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. But now we're in the next phase. Now we're in the doing it phase, right? We're in the let's make it happen phase. We're not, we're not just against and we're not just suggesting alternatives now. Now we're, we're doing it. And that's exciting. So Obamacare, uh, Tom Price is the new health and human services director. Back in 2013, he proposed a great Obamacare replacement bill. And now he's the person who's going to be basically spearheading, uh, the movement to repeal and replace Obamacare. This is huge. This is building each other up. This is, our, like, this is the version of politically building each other up. And this needs to be the new theme of the conservative movement from this point forward. Mobs are motivated by anger and they're short-lived because of it. Movements are motivated by love and they are lasting and always successful. Let the BuzzFeeds and the Jezebels and the Cosmos spew their hate and rip people down and rip things and ideas down. We just got to keep going and build up. Mike Slater show the blaze radio network spread the word
1: this is Mike Slater part of the next generation of talk radio on
5: the blaze radio network
4: Slater Cassettis, this is a number that causes concern in me. I want to see if it does for you. We're talking about men 25 to 54. In economics terms, these are called prime age male workers. And these are uh, able-bodied as well. That's the assumption here. Uh, Prime age, able-bodied male workers 25 to 54. One in eight. One in eight are what they call dropouts which means they don't have a job and they're not looking for one. Now, these people are not included in the unemployment numbers because they're not even looking for a job. You know this. The, people, the unemployment numbers only includes people who don't have a job and are looking for one. Uh, that's why that number is a scam. That's why any, any article about the unemployment number is fake news. It's a fake news article. They don't include people who aren't looking. So one in eight prime-aged male workers are dropouts. Ends up being about 7 million men. In the mid-1960s, it was 1 in 29 prime age male workers. 1 in 29, now 1 in 8. So a few uh, tidbits about this group. Only 15% of the dropouts say they aren't working because they can't find work. (laughs) Only 15%. You would think it'd be 90%, but 15% say they just, "Ah, I'm out because I can't find any work. Which means that the rest, or at least a vast majority of the rest, just don't want to. I mean, they're not even, they're not trying and they don't want to try and there's no plan to try. Most spend eight hours a day watching TV and playing video games. Half of these one in eight, half of these seven million people take pain pills every day. And again, they don't have a disability. And the dropouts say they are less happy and more stressed than people in the workforce. And I want to talk about both of those because that's interesting. Because you would think that people who are relaxing and watching TV and play video games would be more happy and more and less stressed. But it's the opposite. They're less happy and more stressed. Interesting. We've talked before about uh, PTSD. PTS That veterans have. Uh, remember we told a story about one of the band of brothers from World War II. Uh, this was before PTS had a name, right? And he came home And he says the thing that saved his life was his farm. He went home or he went back to his hometown, bought a piece of land way out in the country and started a little farm. And he said that saved his life because he had a purpose. He had a purpose and he could see things growing. He was creating, which is what the creator created us to do. The creator, our creator created us to create there's a sense of joy there, accomplishment when you build something. This is why I'm upset that shop class isn't a thing anymore. Not because of um, you know the math skills that it creates, but I don't think kids ever create things really, right? Do they ever? There's some, there's something just primal about cutting wood and putting it together and making something else out of it. There's just, it's, it's something like really really powerful about that. It's a sense of creation. I mean, unless if you play a video game, maybe you beat the level. And there's a mini sense of accomplishment, maybe. But that's very different than a sense of creation. And I don't think kids get that anywhere in their school day, at least, right? Do they? Do they get to create things? I don't know. Anyway, here's why I bring it up. Uh, This is Nicholas Eberstadt. He's from the American Enterprise Institute. He says the detachment of so many adult men from the reality and routines of regular paid labor can only result in lower standard of living, greater economic disparities between them and those who do work. And slower economic growth because you got 7 million men not working. But here's the key it's also a social crisis and a moral crisis. The growing incapability of grown men to function as breadwinners cannot help but undermine the American family. The American family. If men aren't working, what does that mean for the family unit? Now, I should have been, I'm sorry, I should have done this earlier. This is totally different than men who are laid off or who lost their job for whatever reason or who left their job and are out of work and looking for work and even like really just discouraged by the whole thing. You know? like That's an entirely different scenario. Okay? I'm talking about men who choose not to work. I'm talking about men who choose to play video games all day and be on welfare. Two-thirds of the men uh, receive government aid. Two-thirds of, of the dropouts receive government aid. Okay, The other third probably receive parental aid. Okay, so this is very different than, you know, if I lost my job and, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a dropout, right? I just, I am looking for work. That's very, very different than, than the people I'm talking about here. But what does that mean? Seriously, you have millions of men not working, choosing not to work. I mean, wh- who would marry that man, right? And, and then what does that mean for that family unit or the potential family units that won't exist from this point forward? I mean, that's, that's really destructive. So, two concluding points. Now and then, I want to uh, address the uh, less happy and more stressed. The left progressives, the progressive leaders, they do not think that this is a bug in the system. Uh, this is a feature of the system that they've created. This is great, right? The leaders of the left, they want men to be unable to provide for their families, or even better, unwilling. I mean, it's one thing to make men unable, right? It's one thing to make a situation where there are no jobs, right? So then the government has to swoop in and take care and provide for the family. But there's another, if it's even better, when men are unwilling to provide for their families, right? I mean, they're opening up the door for the state to swoop in and, and provide for families. And this is an old, old Marxist idea. That the state should provide for the families, men shouldn't. Worth noting, the next step... Towards this utopia, which Marxists wrote about often, is a guaranteed minimum income for everybody. This is going to happen. Okay. Uh 20 years. And it'll be something like everyone gets thirty thousand dollars a year no matter what. So every single American, 30 grand right off the top, comes from the government. You have 30 grand, and then anything you make above that is yours, right? Or not really yours, you still get taxed, right? But you are everyone, even if you do nothing, if you do nothing at all, you literally literally, I'm not even exaggerating, you literally stay home all day and play video games, you get thirty thousand dollars a year. That will only enable and incentivize more able bodied prime age males to drop out and just spend their life playing video games. And leave the providing to the great providers in DC. That's where we're headed right now. Look at the trend. In the sixties, one in twenty-nine prime age males were dropouts. Today, one in eight. One in eight. Now throw on top of that just a a guaranteed minimum income of whatever it ends up being. Maybe it's 20 grand, 30 grand. Are you kidding me? It'd be one in four. How many men are working right now that if they were just given 30 grand and didn't have to do anything, would take the deal? Let's say this guy's working who are making 40 grand, right? Working their tails off, and you said, I'll tell you what, you never have to work another day in your life, and I'll give you thirty grand. Like ah, uh, deal. Like totally. So that's where we're headed, and that's gonna be a big problem. Because it erodes character. And that's what I want to explain next because these men, and this is what no one, when this happens, as this is happening, and when the guaranteed minimum income is proposed with more um seriousness, and I guarantee it will a hundred percent guarantee you it will. No one will talk about the character erosion that will come from this because again the men who are dropouts right now are less happy and more stressed than people who are working how can that be i'll explain that next mike slater show the blaze radio network spread the word
1: mike slater
5: on the blaze radio network
1: 888 900
4: 3393. Mike Slater is on. Slater Crusaders. Are being here. So, the one in eight uh, dropouts. One in eight able bodied males, 2554 dropouts. Half take pain medication every day, even though they, need, they don't need it. Uh, eight hours a day watching TV, playing video games. Only 15% are dropouts because they say they couldn't find a job. Bad trend in the sixties. It was one in 29 prime age males. Now it's one in eight dropouts. So the interesting thing I found about it, I find about this is that the dropouts, people who are not working are less happy and more stressed than men who are working. That's interesting, right? Wouldn't you think, I mean, you're hard at work. Sometimes this time of year is harder to, to work because we just came off, you know, Thanksgiving, you had a couple days off, Christmas is coming up. Maybe you get a couple of days off there too. You're like, Oh my gosh, you're, you're dragging. You're like, gosh, nothing would be better than if I just took, if I didn't have to work anymore, if I didn't have to give this report or write this paper or whatever, you'd think you'd be less stressed. So then here are these guys who are not writing any reports and no papers and no one to answer to it, right? They're not working. They're playing video games all day and they're more stressed. How can that be? How can you be more stressed if you're not doing anything? How can a man who, and two thirds of these guys are on government assistance? how can they be more stressed than men who are working? That makes no sense. Work is stressful. You're stressed. I'm stressed. We're all stressed about something happening at work. So, how can the people who know work be more stressed? All right, I came across this from uh, Brett McKay. He's quoting Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl uh, was in Auschwitz, and he was writing a, a manuscript at the time he was sent to Auschwitz, which, of course, was destroyed by the Nazis. But in the camp, he would write it in his head, right? And he would continue his manuscript and he would find scraps of paper whenever possible and he would jot down ideas um, because he said, when I I get out of here, I want to piece it all back together. And he says that purpose kept him alive because he was future focused, right? As opposed to just being stuck emotionally and mentally in the moment of being in an internment camp, he was able to think outside of the moment. Does that make sense? Like he was able to be like, when I'm out of here, this is what I'm going to do. As opposed to people who didn't have that thought and they lost hope. They lost the spark of hope. They lost the light at the end of the tunnel, which is fascinating in and of itself. But anyway, this is something he wrote. He said, mental health is based on a certain degree of tension. The tension between what one has already achieved and what one still ought to accomplish. Right? So try to visualize this. You you got, what I've already achieved and then what I should achieve. And the gap, he says, or it's a gap between what one is and what one should become. That's the tension. Such a tension is inherent in the human being and therefore is indispensable to mental well-being. Are you with me so far? So who you are versus who you ought to be, what you're doing versus what you should be doing, there's a gap there, there's a tension that's good. All right, last part. Victor Franco says, I consider it a dangerous misconception of mental health to assume that what man needs is a tensionless state. So what would a tensionless, a state would be, uh, I am what I am and I am what I ought to be, right? I've, I've achieved everything. I can be no better. I can do no more. This is it. I'm now, I'm tensionless. or attentionless state could be, uh, one of one, the one in eight able-bodied adult prime age males who are staying home playing video games. There's no tension there. At least in their brain, there's no tension. So what Victor Frankl says is what man actually needs is not a tensionless state, but rather the striving and struggling for a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. What he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. Here's the key line, and this will make it click for you, I think. If an architect wants to strengthen a decrepit arc, okay, so imagine an arc, like an arc de triumph or something. If an architect wants to strengthen it, they increase the load which is laid on top of it. And that, therefore, makes the parts... Joined more firmly together. That is a beautiful imagery. Right? So imagine an arc that's getting decrepit and old. You would think you would, I don't know, take parts out or, and, and replace them. no, you just put a heavier weight on top, and that makes everything tighter, more compact, and the arc therefore, stronger. With man, what everyone needs is not less, it's more. Everyone needs more, but not just more. And you notice there was one thing I said there, what Victor said. It's a worthwhile goal, a freely chosen task. So obviously we don't need more nonsense, right? We don't need more busy work. We don't need more of that. So it's not the amount of work that's stressing you out. Think about this. It's not the amount of work, it's the kind of work. Is the work that you're doing, is it worthwhile? Is it of eternal value and is it freely chosen? Most likely not. And that's okay, right? As my dad always said, it's called work for a reason. It's work. Okay? it's Not fun. It's work. <laughs> but I guess the point is, it's not the amount of work that's stressing you. It's the kind of work. So the metaphor of the arc that's falling down, they actually put more weight on top of the arc to firm up the bricks. And we need to see more of this in our society because with one in eight men choosing not to work and it will be more as time goes on and then wondering why they're unhappy and they're more stressed. It's because in the utopian vision of communism, like Cuba and progressivism, the goal is no work. The goal is pure leisure, but that's not an admirable goal. The goal for them is a tensionless state. Right? Just playing video games all day. That's not admirable. The goal should be more tension between who you are and what you want to do and want to be. There needs to be more healthy tension. There needs to be more creation in our lives. That results in more happiness. And believe it or not, less stress. Worthwhile goals, freely chosen. That's the key from Viktor Frankl. Worthwhile goals, freely chosen and you'll be amazed at how much of those you will be able to carry mike slater show the blaze radio network we'll see you next saturday spread the word you're listening to mike
5: slater
1: part of the next generation of talk radio on
5: the blaze radio network